Welcome to TLDR Game Series Podcast. I'm your host, Marco, and joining me today is Sean. Hey. And Diana. Hi, thanks for joining us. You may recognize your voice from our quick looks on YouTube. Now let's get to know our host, Diana. When did you really start to enjoy board games? Or what got you into them? Uh, well, Sean did. Uh, this guy right here really introduced me to a lot of the games that I play now. But honestly, I've always really enjoyed board games. More of um, party games and trivia games and things like that. But I really... Sean really helped me step my game up, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, now she's, uh, she's playing all the advanced stuff now. Um, I've been gaming for... For quite a while, I mean, back in high school in the late '90s is when it really uh, started. Be um, me and some friends, including Marco, um, played Warhammer and D and D on a regular basis every weekend. Sometimes, several times during the week. Um, I don't know which one we started first. Do you? Do you yeah, remember? I, I can't remember. I think it was Warhammer. I think it was Warhammer as well, but um, I don't know. I de- I definitely know that. Warhammer cost me more money. Oh my god, yes than, it does. Than D&D did, ever did. Um, but both of them at the same time, always they made sure that I never had a girlfriend. <laughs> so Lucky for me. Lucky for you. Yeah, that we spent Friday, Saturday, and Sunday just at one friend's house playing constantly. Yeah. If it wasn't Warhammer, it was D&D. Yep. Yep. I remember having the having the tape measure out. Yes. Seeing if I could charge. Yeah, that was fun. But uh, more recently, I guess Catan was the game that kind of started me on the the journey to the new board games. That was kind of the first game that I that I played after not playing games for a while. And that was, I mean, that was several years ago. I don't, I'm not even sure when. Yeah, it was. I remember because we all started getting back into board games because mm-hmm. there was a lull for a while after D and D. Sure. Um. You know what happens. College. Yeah, college. Yeah. You know, you can only come up with so many stories um, until you're just like, oh, my God. What kind of wizard's going to shoot a fireball up my butt this time? Yeah. Yep. Hated the fireballs in the butthole. <laughs> All right. So when you started doing advanced board gaming, what became your idealistic type of game to play? Like, was it co-op, strategic, worker placement, uh, themed uh, I guess for me, I really, when I started playing advanced games, it was, I guess I really got drawn into the heavily themed games, which I still am. Um, but as I got more into them, I really started to enjoy worker placement games as well. What uh, what theme games did you like? I think the first one or one of the first ones I played was Mansions of Madness. Mm. Yeah, still love it. That's still a great game. We haven't played in a while. We haven't. It's we need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want to play the new, new scenario. Yeah, I, I can't wait to try that wait, too. Do you know how long it is? I don't have the timing on the top of my head. We still haven't played that one on yeah, second the, the, edition. What, six hours. We I haven't tried it. Well, at least. me and another have tried it before, but it is just a lot of searching around. Yeah, and walking's like. Walk here. Oh, I'm going to pick up this item. Walk over here. Talk to this person. And it's not very thrilling until the very end where shit goes down. Right. Then at that point, it happens so quickly that it's over. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a fun one. And you actually played that one before you played Betrayal, right? Oh, yeah. I didn't play Betrayal until recently. It's kind of a downgrade, like as far as technology goes, but it's still, uh, it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> lack of technology isn't necessarily a downgrade. Um, I think it's just a different way to play. Um, they're both super fun. So sure, the mansions has definitely has better miniatures, though. Oh yes, some of those things are pretty pretty amazing. And I like you know the fact that there's this one scenario where the board is changing all the time uh where it's like oh the house is creaking what's that sound and then next thing you know you have warped to a different area mm-hmm. because that piece that you're sitting on no longer exists all right so diana loves theme sean what kind of games do you like um co- co-op games tend to be my my favorite usually i just like the 
the team atmosphere more than I like competitive. However, if I am playing competitive, generally I like worker placement games. I like if I'm going to play a competitive game, I don't want I don't want randomness to be a huge factor. And with worker placement games, it tends to be significantly less random. I mean, if there's no dice rolling or um, things like that, then you know that limits how much you can't actually control. Right. Um, but if a, if a game is just completely random, then you're not really not really my favorite thing. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. Like, I love a really good deep strategy worker placement game. Yeah. Um, like taken uh, through the ages. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a pretty long game. It can take anywhere from two, three, four hours, depending on how many people you have. But you have to strategize from the beginning to the end about okay, here's the path I want to go. Here's with what leaders I want to do. Oh, wait, this guy is starting to build an army. Let me go in and secure myself before he just bends me over. Sure. Um, that or you have not really really deep one, but viticulture. Yeah. Viticulture, viticulture is just... That's a great one. It's a good, fun, quick work replacement game. But I want to ask, and I know it's going to be hard for you guys to answer. Oh, jeez. Worst game experience. What game was it? Oh, this is hands down easy for me. Captain Sonar. Worst game ever. Really? Ever. Captain Sonar. That game's fun. It's so fun. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. It was terrible. I hated every minute of it. Every minute it of it. It's too like you don't have time to stop and think. Is that why? You don't have time to stop and think. I I I've I played like two different positions in the game and it's chaotic to me it's chaotic and there's so much going on i can't even concentrate on the one task i've been given to do um there's just there's too much and i'm trying to catch everything and then it just frazzles me terrible hate it Mm, that makes sense Yeah. yeah Well, next time I play that game, I'll have to be sometime she's not around. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. That's right. Anyway, so what about you, Sean? Worst? Like, does it have to be a new game? No, it can be any game. Well, that's easy. I hate Monopoly. <laughs> and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here. I don't know what gamer nowadays just hates old school Monopoly. I, uh, I just... No, yeah, I, I, me, I hate it. Do I, are you saying that the gamers nowadays do hate it or don't hate it? No, they do. They do. Mo, I think it's a pretty frowned upon game. There are some people that still like it, probably. Though I, I have to say that that game has led to the worst fights I've ever seen in board <laughs> games sure. and table flipping. Yeah, yeah. No, no one, no one wins at Monopoly. <laughs> no one wins at Monopoly. Um, Especially you know if you're playing with your kids. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I own that now. That's yeah. mine. Give it to me. I don't mind. I don't mind a game of Monopoly, um, especially if it's a themed Monopoly. Um, but it is it is hard to find other people to play. Uh, as as far as new games go, like newer games, even if I did, don't really feel like I would play the game again, generally I don't feel like like mad like monopoly i just it just makes me want to <laughs> just makes me want to punch something like it makes me actually angry and i don't even i can't even explain it makes no sense whatsoever but i can't think of a new game that's done that yeah i i have to agree so far out of all the games that do exist and we have played there's not been a game that i've hated as much as monopoly what about the game Sorry? The game that apologizes to you on the box. <laughs> I can deal with Sorry. I yeah. can deal with the game of life. Yeah. But Monopoly, oh, I just, I will flip a table. <laughs> so are you saying that that is your I, I'm in agreement most with hated game? Yes. Wow. Two, wow. Out, two out of three. It's pretty bad. That's high percentage. That Next to that is Risk. Risk. And the reason for it is because of the dice rolls. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm going to come in here and conquer. And all of a sudden you get the worst dice rolls you can possibly do, even though you have a chunk of army next to three people. Yeah. That's that randomness I, that I 
tried to steer away from. I mean, a little bit in the game, you know, can add kind of a add a little spice. But when it's the main mechanic, like it is in Risk, like not uh, not something I want to play very often. Right. Um, but I will say this: that we were just talking about how the vastness of games that are out there, we haven't had a chance to experience them. And that is really highly due to the fact that now indie board gamers get a chance to now display and demo and actually ask for funding for their games on oh, Kickstarter. Yeah. Yep. Which I think is a huge bonus because before, if you couldn't get into a publisher, there was no way your game was getting released. Or they would buy your concept and then just ruin it. Right. Um, so with that... I want to get into the month, uh, October to November, our top Kickstarter games. And these okay. are games that we will either uh, we have either backed or that we have so much interest, to, interest in that we will back. Uh, starting with me, I am just actually really interested in this game called Monsterlands. It's a strategic dice placement game uh, where it's not only worker placement... But you do have resource management. There is dice rolling in it, but I like the Euro-style worker placement concept uh, in, in this game. It looks like there's a lot of deep uh, possibilities of what you can do, whether it is you know building up your defense, building up a clan, uh, using your dice to uh, venture out and expand uh, your, uh, your land. Uh, and it just looks phenomenal. Expand your land... That's cool. Yeah, I've seen that one on there. Um, it's not one I've really looked into backing yet. Do you have any more? Uh, I do have one more, but let's go over to Diana. What's your Kickstarter game that you would back? Uh, I am actually currently backing a game right now um, on Kickstarter. It's going to be done in a few days. Uh, but Coma Ward um, is a horror board game that um, is hopefully coming out and uh well it's already backed so um just really looking forward to this it reminds me a lot of um like betrayal um so it looks to be somewhat of a um uh, adventure game um where there's a mystery element um and you kind of have to figure out um, who you are, what you're doing um, in this psychiatric ward. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it. I'm glad it's doing well, and I'm just really hoping that it gets to uh, three more stretch goals so <laughs> I can get those miniatures. <laughs> yeah, those stretch goals are great. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Um, one, one of the ones that I'm backing right now is Dinogenics. It's a worker placement game where... It looks like basically you get to build your own Jurassic Park, and that's awesome. You, uh, I mean, it's, like I said, worker placement. Uh, you gather resources, and then you use those resources to build enclosures, feed your dinosaurs. Um, and I guess if you don't do that carefully enough, your dinosaurs can escape and wreak havoc on your park. Um, but it looks it looks awesome, and they have little dinosaur meeples, which is wonderful. A little T Rex meeple. Now, another game for me that I am backing right now is Oko Chronicles. Uh, this game has uh, recently hit Kickstarter, and it will be ending on November 16th, right before my birthday. So, guys, if you want to pay me back, <laughs> you know, as a gift, I don't know, you know, something like that. But it looks really intriguing. What I like about it is the it is uh, based on a comic book, the Oko Chronicles. Um, <clears throat> that the artwork, first off, looks fantastic. I love the artwork. I love the looks of the miniatures that look very detailed. But it's also an investigation game where you're trying to find out where the Oni or demons uh, are uh, in the mission set. So you are discovering new aspects of the story and unlocking more story as you continue on. Uh, it looks really fun, and I can't wait to get it. Is it a is that co-op or is that competitive? It is actually a co-op. It's one player plays as a demon, and then uh, up to uh, four players plays as uh, the heroes. So one versus all. That's, That's right. Cool. Those are fun. 
Uh, the other game I um, that I have backed right now is the deluxified version of Downfall. Um, Tasty Minstrel Games has done some deluxified versions before that um, look uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, this is a, a 4x game, um, tile laying, you know, expand, exterminate, all that stuff. Um, but it, it takes place in a like a post post apocalyptic world. And it's a battle battle for, for survival, it looks like. And it, I think it's going to be lots of fun. Awesome. So I have a game that kind of stood out to me, not necessarily because I'm going to back it, which I'm not, but uh, it made me laugh. So on Kickstarter right now is the best game in the world. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so it looks pretty simple. It's a party game um, with clues written down on cards. Um, it boasts that its special sauce is derived from the broad range of clues. So it actually does come with a good bit of cards, uh, 240 cards plus 60 make your own cards. So one of the special things about this game is it has pre-printed cards, but also blank cards where you would take a dry erase marker and create your own clue. But it really is just a plain old guess the clue at the party. That, so the best game in the world. Yeah, that, <laughs> the name of the game alone makes me not want to back that game. Yeah, it makes me feel like they're trying to trick me. It's pretty offensive. <laughs> the best game in the world. I I, I don't believe you. Mm -mm. Nope. Maybe really fun. I have no idea, but not the best in the world. No, no. Uh, so that is our kickstarters that we have want to sh shed a light on and that we have backed and want to share it to our audience to say hey take a look see what you think <laughs> yeah help us unlock those stretch goals now there is one game on there and i i have seen it diana pointed it out to me and i think it should get some recognition because of the theme of it uh I think it's the wiener game it is, is it, it is the wiener game? it is the wiener game oh my god what is it called Oh, what is it called? Oh, it, sausage so, party? It's sausage something. Hold on, I thought she had it. I'll, I'll pull it up again. But this game is by far one of the ridiculous games, most ridiculous games I've seen on Kickstarter lately. I, I apologize, I was incorrect. It is not called sausage something. It is called Wiener, Wiener Takes, Takes All. All. <laughs> All right, so you guys haven't pulled up. Can, can I just read... Yes. Well, before you read, let me let me just paint a picture here because okay. Okay. I'm looking at the Kickstarter picture that comes up, and there's this hunky, handsome guy without a shirt, and he's holding a plate with a very large wiener on it, and it's strategically placed at his waistline. <laughs> so that's that's the first visual you get of this gem on Kickstarter. Okay. So tell us about it, Sean. So you get to you get to build your character, which is very exciting. Uh, your the your size, your body, your race, um, and a feature. So you can be pierced if you want. A pierced, athletic, very hairy black person is the example that they've given on the Kickstarter page. That's um, exciting. You can build your character, and then when it's your turn, you'll do three things: you pick, you peek, you pick, and you play. Uh, you peek at any one face down card secretly uh, so you can peek at a guy to see if he's easy I don't know what that means but it, yeah, you can you see if he okay I don't know what it means <laughs> I don't know what it means in terms of the game yes you do <laughs> or you can peek at a wiener to see if it's worth it hmm <laughs> worth what I don't know well, how I mean, that's determined like, what are you trying to determine here <laughs> size that's all that matters is size okay I, all right I don't think that's true I, is it Diana is, is size <laughs> all that matters we are speaking in gaming terms only here this <laughs> game so and then step two then you pick a guy to flirt with you touch him with your finger to show him that you picked him. Is this a female-only game? <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it. And then, step three, my favorite part, you play by rolling the dice. If you roll is high enough, your flirt worked, and you get his wiener. Woohoo! <laughs> Grab as many as you can, it says. It seems like this is a bridal shower type of game. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. that actually is a pretty good target audience but i mean 
how how is that really gonna gonna help this? I don't know. I, I mean, <clears throat> to to me, it's just like, hey, you know, before you go out to drink and go to the male strip club, let's go and play with wieners. So normally, stretch goals are something that help me get excited about a campaign. Uh, as of right now, this game has fifty three backers. Um, and th there's two stretch goals. Uh, one is for Glitter Dice if he sells 3,000 copies. So almost there, right? And the other one is for a larger game box if he sells 5,000. So it's all about size here. It is size all, and glitter. All about quantity. Size and glitter. Yes. I I'm surprised that <laughs> when you, who if it does get backed, that you don't get a glitter bomb as soon as you open the package. It's like, surprise, I'm here. I will be <clears throat> very surprised if it's backed. So speaking of this, funny games, we're going to go on to our next segment, and that is called Game Changers. We like to play this game, you know, every so often where... It's very well. It's exactly like ruin a game by changing one one letter, and so we have a contest here between Sean and Diana about who can get the most and the best game changes. Now I have a list of games, guys. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Are you sure? I mean, yes. I got this. All right, you're going, going down. down. No, you're All right, so the way we're gonna we're the way we're gonna play this is to ring your bell. You're gonna call your name, so you're gonna say your own name. Oh, well, she's used to screaming my name. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, that's not how it works, Sean. Oh, you're gonna say your own name. Oh, I'm used to screaming my own name too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and once you do, you give me your answer. Okay. All right, so we'll start off with number one, Blood Rage. Diana. All right, Diana. Blood Age, Becoming a Woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. Um, next, so point for Diana. <laughs> Sean, Diana, Sushi Go. John. Uh, sushi Goo. Failed food inspection. <laughs> oh, oh I, that's a new game I don't want to play. No, That'll make you never want sushi it again. It stinks. All right. Uh, <laughs> so we're going number three. It's one and one here. Uh, power grid. Sean. All right, Sean. Uh, power grip. Oh, of course he'd come up with that one. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's but, like I said, I screamed my own name. <laughs> Do you play it by yourself or with others? Only with her. All right. <laughs> I don't like that game either. Worst game ever. <laughs> so we have Sean at two, Diana at one. Next, <clears throat> Descent. Diana. All right, Diana. Uh, decent. Journey into the mediocre. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah, you didn't change anything, but that's pretty good. I changed the enunciation. Good. Enough. I guess you changed journey into darkness. That's what it normally is. I believe. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give same. it to her okay. for that. So two and two. <laughs> All right, next one. Okay. And we're gonna do the first one, two, three. So we only got one game left. Okay. And this one oh. is going to be too many bones. Diana. Yes, Diana. Too many boners. Oh. <laughs> yes. Wait, what? Wait, wait that seems like... Don't worry would, about that. It would go with power grip. Yes, power <laughs> grip. Too many boners. Sounds like a good party. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, geez. Well, she did say she did enjoy the party games. The, oh, the wiener takes all party games? Yeah. I need to have another bachelorette party just so I can, <laughs> so I can play the wiener game. <laughs> Uh, all right well that was fun guys and congrats to diana mm -hmm. she wins our special prize of this bottle of water mm. all right all right speaking of party games i think that brings up a great discussion and that is board games in public 
Now, I know how a few of you feel about this, um, especially Diana with board games in the library. I think having access to board games, uh, whether it's in a bar and a cafe or even in a library, it's a great experience. It lets people have a chance to experience games um, such as the ones we've talked about previous, you know, Viticulture, um, Betrayal. Uh, Mansion of Madness. They have those in a bar? <laughs> no, they don't have those in the bar. But if they oh. had those in the library, I think it's a great way to expand people's knowledge of games and also help the community. What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, board games at a library. It's just something else you can check out. It's fine. You can even play them there. I, I don't... Diana? All right, so let's just get it over with. Here's the problem, right? I think it's a great idea, right? A great, It's a great thought, and it's the thought that counts. But for me, there's just too many, too many possibilities that could go wrong with the thought of board games in a library. Uh, maybe keeping them there and having them, you know, to play on the premises is fine. Um, but letting people take the games home and then just bring them back. You're talking about, you know, missing components, ruined board games. Um, you know, those are just an extra expense for publicly funded institutions like libraries. Um, so for me, it's, you know, it is a good idea and it's a good thought, but I just don't think that it would be perfectly executed. Well, I mean, I, I agree, yes. The execution needs work, but I I think if they instill the fact that, hey, we're going to charge X amount of money if it's a missing piece, it first off puts money back into a public library, whether going to a board game, more books, or whatnot. But it also allows the chance for the library to be more diligent on their uh, rentals. Yeah, you know. that would be that would probably be the huge like the biggest concern for the library itself is that it would take a significantly longer time to check in a board game as opposed to checking in a book. I mean, you need more time if they're going to do it properly because they have to go through it, you know, check, read, read the instruction manual, checking for all the components, making sure they're all there um, and making sure they're all in good shape. Um but that's something that they could, I mean, that could happen. Right, but I don't see it that much of a downside anyway, you know? No, I don't, I would, that's just something that would happen. I don't think it's good or bad. It's just, right. you know, cause I, we've discussed this in the past, Diana, and you brought up re very good points. I, I disagree with your points, but you were saying- you're entitled how, to. How you were saying how game that could be ruined because of a rented game. Well, yeah. I mean, if you, you know, if you can't afford one of these games, but they have it, you know, for rental at the local library, yeah, you bring it home, you, you know, get everything set up for board game night, and your friends come over, you pop the game open, and it's missing, you know, a component or a piece or someone's drawn on the board, you know, any, any number of possibilities could happen. And even if they had someone to check it over, they could have missed something or miscounted. You know, now you've got a jigsaw puzzle with a missing piece. You know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be ruined. Yeah, but I mean, don't you think that you take that risk when you're making a rental? Just like you take that risk when you go to a bar and you see apples to apples and there's it's sticky, you know, or there it, it is missing a few cards. You know, you still get to enjoy the game. But at the same time, it is going to be missing a few components, which isn't really going to cost or affect my enjoyment of this. I see, and that I disagree with. I think that it does affect the outcome of your experience. Who wants who wants to willingly rent a partial board game or a book with a page torn out? Nobody. It depends on what's missing. If I'm missing the second page that all it has is the ISBN number and the publication date, no big deal. If I, if I rent a game like Terraforming Mars and I'm missing one blue cube, who cares? Now, if I'm missing some of the cards, that's a different story. It depends on what's missing. That determines whether or not you can play the game and it still be fun. Yes, and there are all these variables that just make it 
seem to be a little bit better thought than an actual well-executed plan. It, it would be tough to do it and make it where there were no problems, but I would still rather see board games in libraries than not see them. Right. And, I mean, I know we've run into the risk where we will rent a game. Uh, I, you didn't see this, but I put that in quotes. Rent a game from each other where we're, you know, borrowing games. And sometimes, unfortunately, a piece gets missing or it gets uh, left at the house. You know, we are still able to play it. Yeah, we have to change how we play. You know, whether it's like unfair when we were missing a ninja card for for a while. Did you find them? Yes, I found the ninja super attraction. Uh, I did find it. Uh, I seem to have missed it when I was counting. But anyway, mm-hmm. when I'm talking, you wouldn't be hired by the library. <laughs> no, I would no. not. <laughs> uh, but speaking of that, I mean, we're still able to enjoy games. That we're you know we have rented and we've missed pieces. Yeah, it just depends on what's missing. If that's if that's what we're worried about, things missing, it's going to be on a case by case basis. No, if it's like the game when I ordered my copy of Anachrony and I had a duplicate punch board, that's a different story. We couldn't play that game because I was missing so many components. But Mindclass stepped up, sent me the send me the stuff, you know, in a couple days. Right, and, and I replaced it. And it was fun. I think that's a fantastic point is that all libraries have to do is contact the game manufacturer and they'll send them missing pieces. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's at a, too much of a disadvantage to either the company or to the library because it's putting games out there that those manufacturers would probably never have gotten those audiences. Yeah, but think of the scale. I mean, when you have thousands and thousands of board games being constantly written out, how many components are you replacing on a regular basis? That's going to come into effect at some point. Hopefully it's not none. going to be, yes, hopefully none, but realistically, it's going to happen and it's going to happen frequently. People spill stuff. They have children who tear stuff up or things just get misplaced. It happens all the time here, but we have responsibility for those things. They're not just free. And we, you know, there's a level of care that you take with something when you've used your hard-earned money for it. You know, I, you know, I just backed a game for a hundred dollars. You, you bet your bottom dollar that I'm going to take very good care of it. Now, if someone just gave it to me for free, you know, maybe not so much. It's just like a 16-year-old kid getting a free car for their birthday. They're not going to treat it the same. Well, yes, but. Again, that comes into, you know, the the cost. Like if I were to say, you know, I, I'm running a library or, you know, or that I'm returning a game and there's pieces missing, especially or damaged, I'm going to incur a cost and I'm going to expect that cost because of the fact that I'm not returning the whole. Just like if I rent a book out from a library and I don't return it in its condition, in a usable condition I have to pay for the book or or if it's late and never gets returned which you know I've done in the past (laughs) I end up having to pay for the book I I still have movies from Blockbuster (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they're gonna come and get you probably not (laughs) I mean again I'm not I'm not completely against the idea I just don't I think there needs to be a more structured system and I I don't think it's going to be cost effective for a place like a public library. Now, uh, you know, we have we have plenty of bars and breweries that have games in them and that's great, but hey, a piece goes missing, oh well, tough luck. They're not going to replace it. Well, right, you're, you're correct. You know? But if you've seen the games that are typically at, you know, the bars that we venture to or the breweries or cafes, it's apples to apples. It's it's games or what's it? Wits and wagers. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is because those are cheap games that they don't have to replace. If so, and if they do, it's cheap. They're not going to have you know a fifty, seventy five hundred dollar game there for that fact. If someone ruins it, they're not going to pay that cost to replace it. True, but at the same time, would you bring a board game to a bar? I have absolutely. All right. And has anything happened to it? No. You know, 
And how many times have you done it? Once, but I was playing it with friends. I wasn't renting it out to strangers. But still, you're bringing it to a place, a public place, that has a higher risk of it getting damaged, ruined, torn, at a public place because of other unforeseen variables. I think the people are the variables I'm referring to. Like it was myself and my friends who were playing the game, people we always play games with. It's more It's more or less like just, I guess what I'm trying to say is if I were to just say, you know, take a bunch of board games and put them in the middle of the bar and say, hey, free for all, whoever wants to play can play my games and I'll just take them when I get ready to leave. I run the risk of things happening because I'm not watching everybody do it. But if I'm playing the game, I'm going to take care of it. Well, yes, but okay. So with bars, that's completely understandable. But we have taken games over to game nights, you know, over like half price books uh, or madness or other places or uh, the Dallas uh, game marathon and have left them there, you know, for others to play. And more than, I mean, I think it's happened once where we've had to find additional pieces. But all the other games have never gotten damaged or anything. Yeah, but at places like that, it's people that play board games, and at least most people, not not all of them that are there, but they that are playing board games on a more frequent basis. So they they understand the importance of having every single piece. Like they they connect with they connect with that idea. Like they know if if something's gone, then the game might not work anymore so they're a little more careful with it i know i'm i'm super careful with my games like i'm meticulous about putting stuff back um and i'm like that with anyone else's game too because i would hate to lose someone else's you know stuff because that 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 sucks it sucks to have an incomplete game yes i i completely agree but we always run the risk you know sure, just I mean, like if even it a was risk here i mean we we drop stuff all the time Right. Usually we find them, um, but you know, I mean, anytime you're playing a game with a hundred and you know, hundreds of tiny components, little cubes or meeples, like there's a chance that you're gonna drop one and the dog's gonna eat it. Like that's just that that's always gonna be a risk. But the difference in the the level of the risk is what is what's differing here. Well, I don't know about that because our friend did leave part of his uh, rebellion pieces over at my place and I had a fun time putting him in shackles and feeding him to the dog. <laughs> you fed his piece to a dog? Well, I put it in the dog bowl oh. and, and sent him film of this because <laughs> he, he kept on saying, oh, well, I'll be right there. I'll come and pick it up. He never came, so we had to have a, a nice fun time with his pieces. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's some torture there. I would I I would feel more confident with lending you a game and knowing that it's going to get back to me 100% than a complete stranger. If I were to go to knock on, you know, Joe Johnson's, you know, house down the street who I've never met before and said, "Hey, I'm just in a good mood and want you to try out this game." You know, I don't have as much confidence with that game coming back to me 100% then would you say you would feel more comfortable going back to the library situation that if it was all in-house we're like yes you can check out this game here like it's like for a three-hour time limit you can play this game in this room uh with your friends i mean yeah i think think about like periodicals and things like that in libraries that you have access to but you can't remove from the library Something along that end, like, yes, you can play this game for free. You just have to play it here. It can't. Then then the risk goes down. If there's a missing component, chances are you're going to find it because you know what building it's in. I mean, that's that's true. So as, as long as the library is OK with if they're in a room where some noise can happen, because one of the, mo the best part about playing a game is being able to interact with your friends oh, definitely. playing with playing with and so if i'm if i had to if i had to play a game and i was able to play it but i had to be completely silent while i played it like that doesn't sound fun to me no, maybe but... maybe it would be i don't i've never tried it because it's not <laughs> natural to me i like to talk and communicate 
Even right. if it's just trash talk, you know. Yeah, oh, exactly. And I think that brings up a, a sub point to this is games at uh, bars, like or cafes that actually have a nice selection of games, not just your apples to apples like or, the, or like, like which board, the board game cafes, right? Like that, yeah. You know, I would go there. You would go there, but the interaction is going to be so much louder. Yeah. You know, because of the atmosphere there. Yeah, and most of those places will. You'll have to put like you know give them your card like a credit card until they get the game back and they check for the components um so they have recourse um there so they're not really running any risk because if you, if you lose the game you messed it up they're just going to take it out of your out of your account like just to charge you for it right and, and you know i think that's perfect you know that they do it that way and i think you know if it is expanded to libraries they technically should do the same thing. Yeah, they should. They should keep a uh, deposit. Like they should get a deposit or a credit card on file. Yeah, for like a depreciated rate of the game. Um, you know, not the full cost, because obviously once it's been played a few hundred times, I'm not gonna give this company. I mean, sorry, the library, sixty bucks for a for a used game. Right. Sure. No, I got you. That makes sense. Well, I think that was a, a really great discussion about games in public. All right, we will be right back with our Designer's Corner. See you soon. We have the creator behind Unfair, Joel Finch. Hello, good to be here. For those of you who haven't played Unfair, Unfair is a card drafting set collection game played over eight rounds where players compete to build the highest scoring amusement park. But watch out, your competition may have a trick up their sleeve. So welcome, Joel. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. So I have to say that this theme uh, behind the amusement parks is fantastic. It has brought me back to my childhood every time I play it. Uh, yeah, that, that's a reaction we get from quite a lot of people, actually. That was something that I was I was keen uh, to to produce for myself as well. All right. So, is that why you chose the fair theme? You know, it was something you really enjoyed in your childhood. Yes, very much. Um, for me, when I grew up, uh, we were about three hours outside of a major city. So a trip uh, into the city to have access to a theme park was a, was a pretty major event. Um, so it's something that uh, I look forward to. It was always very exciting when we got to go there. Uh, and I always had very fond memories of it. I completely agree. Uh, in my childhood, it was... The summer we got to go to the amusement park maybe two or three times uh, during yeah. the summer, and it was just an all-day event that we always had fun. Me and my friends, you know, when you grow older, we stop going. But this game has brought me right back to my childhood, and, and thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad. So, speaking of you know childhood and you know fun with the game, I love your rule book. I have to say, it is probably the most fun I had going through the rules, especially due to those hand notations that you put in the game. Why did you go that route? Well, the game has uh, two layers to it. And one is that uh, the fun, uh, sunny, bright aspect uh, of a, a theme park, but it also has another layer, which is uh, the, the business side of a theme park, uh, where the, the parks are interacting and sort of competing against each other. So we wanted the rule book to reflect some of that. So uh, it has just the, the plain, straight explanation of the rules, but then there's this sort of uh, 
cynical layer, I suppose, that sort of comes in uh, with the, the comments from the, we call him the grumpy old man. He used <laughs> to be a, like a former park owner and now he's scribbled all the notes in the, in the manual for you. Yeah, that, that was just to reflect the, the sort of the two layers of the game. Well, you did such a wonderful job. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, they see a thick rule book and they get overwhelmed. You know, yours, it's just so nicely done. And your whole old, old grumpy old man layer just does a great job of kind of easing people into it. Oh, thanks. That was actually um, a combined effort between myself and my wife, Kate. So who came up with the grumpy old man idea? Was it you or her? Um, I honestly can't remember that. I think it was something that uh, just kind of developed. Well, you, you guys did well. But I have to go a little serious here now. We're going to kind okay. of change the topic a little bit. On mm -hmm. One of the, the things is, you know, very hotly debated about your game is the whole take that aspect. Did you ever expect this aspect to ever be so polarizing in the way that it is? I didn't think it would be quite, I didn't think it would make people quite so upset. Uh, I, I imagine that some people would like it and that some people would not like it, but uh, I expected, I suppose, that the people who didn't like it would, would just simply not play the game, I suppose. Uh, but it, it seems to have uh, brought out comments from, from people, um, fairly uh, heated comments in some cases, that they, they feel like it shouldn't, shouldn't be in a game or that it's, uh, somehow it's wrong or something like that. Well, have you ever just gone, well, take a look at the Game Changers? You can take <laughs> it out. Yeah, we, we certainly do try and explain that. Um, the, the Game Changer cards are there to allow people to tailor the game to suit themselves. So World Peace, for example, uh, prevents attacking between players. Um, but for some people, that, that, um, that results in them feeling like they might be missing out on some content, which is something I find surprising because it, it seems like it's content that they don't enjoy anyway. So I'm not, I'm not really sure what the thinking is there. <laughs> I, I know. It's like, if you don't like it, just read the top part of the card and that's it. You know, that's mm. really all you're missing. Yeah. And I, I did kind of feel as though we we had made enough of a warning with the the title, uh, and the the cover picture also reflects the the two aspects of the game. There's the the fun happy park, but also a storm in the background, uh, and the back of the box mentioned back of the box. Sorry, mentions that there's um, there's some aspects of of competition and and uh, fighting between the parks. Right. So I wasn't expecting it to be a surprise to people to find that there. I know. It's like when we saw it, we we initially expected that just because of the title alone. Yeah. We're like, okay, we're, we're going to be dueling it out at some point here. There's going to be a war and it's going to be between me and this guy and it's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so you being the creator of the game, you and your wife, have you ever lost? Yeah. <sighs> Have I ever lost? We actually, that's, that's funny. We have a running joke in our playgroup, uh, which is hashtag cannot win his own game. <laughs> I love that. I, I'm frequently last. Really? I, I'm kind of surprised since you, you know, have, have gone through the meticulous way of building this game so that everything seems quite well balanced and everything. You, you can't win. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I, I guess that's because my friends are just much smarter than me, so they can do the the analysis in real time much better than me. That right. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have to ask: any upcoming expansions? Uh, yes, we're working on four new themes, so four theme packs, which will be in a single expansion. Um, those are Alien, uh, B movies. Dinosaur and Western. B-movies, huh? B-movies. Oh, I'm so excited about that. I love a good horror B-movie, and to, to have that theme in, the, in your game, I think will be fantastic. So which has been your favorite so far of your new ones? Oh, that's, that's always a tough question. I think in terms of the change that it makes to the game, the Alien pack is probably um, my favorite. But it's very close. They're, they're all good for different reasons. 
Oh, I, well, I can't wait to try it uh, once they come out. Uh, do you have a date on them yet? Uh, the word that we have from our publisher is that it will likely be a quarter two release next year. Well, fantastic. I look forward to 2018 so I can get those packs. Because me and my friends, like I said, it's turned into a weekly game now that we play. Um, it's usually our, our, you know, our palate cleanser after a nice long game. It's like we need this. Oh, fantastic. You know, to kind of have fun, clear it up, and get ready for the next game. Oh, that's good uh, so to hear. thank you for bringing that to us. Uh, hey, you're welcome. So going to, um, I would say, your upbringings on board games, what did you start off playing? Like, what got you into the board game community and wanting to build your own games? Well, for me, it, it wasn't so much board games in my childhood. Um, we did play some, but I think probably just the ones that, that most people played, Monopoly, obviously. Um, things like Mousetrap and, you know, those sorts of things. For me, early on, it was computer games. And uh, I went from, um, from computer games into building websites, and a lot of the skills transferred across to board games. So for, for me, board games was actually a more recent thing, probably um, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we started out with things like uh, Carcassonne, uh, Settlers of Catan, all, all of the uh, the classics. Right. After playing those games for quite some time, uh, I wanted to make something that um, offered, I guess, a little bit more replayability, a bit more variability when you would play the game again. So, you know, I, I would play Power Grid, and I, I like the game, I enjoy it, I think it's a good game, but it, it got to the stage where it felt like it was the same process each time we played. So I, I was looking for something that would allow us to change that without necessarily having to learn new rules each time. Does that, does that make sense? Of course, it, it makes perfect sense. Uh, since your video game background, Unfair, were you a roller coaster tycoon fan like me? <laughs> yes, I did enjoy that. <laughs> Many hours I've spent wasted in front of my computer playing Roller Coaster Tycoon 3, and I'm so glad there's a board game version of it now. Awesome. So you, you've ran this initially on Kickstarter. Yes. Uh, and you did a very successful campaign. What are your thoughts on going Kickstarter exclusive versus retail, or a combination of the two? Well, for me, as the person making the game, what I, what I really want is to get it to as many people as I can. So uh, uh, exclusives on Kickstarter, to my mind, that, that limits the market a little bit. Right. Uh, and even doing things like uh, exclusive stretch goals means that there are some people who, who miss out on, on something. Um, so we made a very deliberate choice that, although we did have some stretch goals and they would be uh, material that the backers would get, uh, that we would try and find a way to make that same material available eventually to retail as well. I completely agree. I don't think players should be penalized for missing your campaign. You know, especially yeah. on some of these great games that are coming out now that only stick with just Kickstarter and it takes out i would say over half of your you know target audience because yeah. they go to the you know the local board game store and, and want to play and you know I, i'm so glad that's actually how we found your game is we didn't see it on kickstarter uh, we were a little late to the to take on it but we saw it as a new release at our local game shop and we're like we, we have to try this out and i'm so glad that we did yeah so we're going to open it up uh, to some social media questions. Uh, you actually answered the first one. <laughs> so we're going to go with uh, the last, the second two. One uh, from Soren is, is the expansion going to be a one-box expansion or it's going to be four packs? Uh, well, that's not a decision um, that I get to make, but the, the current thinking of our publisher is that it will be one box with four packs. All right. Next question is coming from Brad, and it is, what can you tell us about the panoramic cards that are hinted at in Unfair? In unfair? Oh, okay. 
The panoramas are uh, wide scenes that get chopped up into uh, segments for, for use on the cards. Uh, so that if you put the cards together side by side in the correct order, it will recreate that scene. So, for example, in the pirate pack, there's um, the, the large ship, which is the Blackbeard's Revenge, and the, the restaurant, the seafood and eat it restaurant, uh, and the swinging ship. And those three cards together uh, form the panorama for the pirate pack. Um, initially, those panoramas were just uh, kind of an Easter egg so that you know people might realize that those those two cards would fit together and and want to go through and put the panorama uh, back together but we decided that we could put a little marker on the card and um, indicate to people that the panoramas existed and that we would be able to use it for scoring later on so one of the packs the b-movie pack in the expansion actually enables the uh, panorama scoring uh, which lets you score points for building uh, the panorama in the correct sequence in your park and it also adds some event cards that let you reorganize them in case you you build them in the wrong order oh i i can't wait to take a look at those but yes i love the little easter eggs you have all over this game you know especially those pan panoramics like like you said like when we first played we never actually even noticed it um, <laughs> and it was later on Good. we were kind of like, wait, what is this? And the more we played it, the more we saw, you know, them form. And it's like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. You know, the artwork was just so great. Great job on that, by the way. Like, oh, thank was, you. It was so fun. Yeah, the, the artwork was done uh, mostly by uh, Mr. Cuttington, who you might know from uh, Steampunk Rally or more recently from uh, Santorini or Brass. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, so, and also some of the art, the, the vampire art was done by Philippe Borrier. Uh All of them Canadian artists. Well, they're all fantastic. And I know, like, for our game group, we have some players who that's their initial draw to games is the artwork. And we didn't have one that were like, I don't know about the artwork. They yeah. all loved it. So great job on that. Thanks. Uh, so I'm going to close it up with one final question. Uh, thank you again for joining us. But uh, the question is, are you working on any other games right now? Um, the expansions for Unfair are taking most of my time, but I do have some other ideas uh, at the back of my mind. Uh, nothing that I can really talk about yet. All right. Well, good luck to you, Joel. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being such a great supporter for TLDR so far. We have been more than thrilled that you've been supporting us. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, and have a great evening. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, this is Joel Finch with Unfair. Uh, we'll be back. Game Change with Diane. Okay, so today I'm going to talk to you about this ridiculous game, Pandemic Legacy Season 1. It's like they knew this game was so bad, they only let you play it through once. You literally cannot play it again. Only finish once. Retarded. So you literally destroy the game as you play it, you're tearing up cards and throwing things away. <sighs> okay, best case scenario, you only have to play the game 12 times. What really keeps me going in this game is just knowing that I get to destroy more of it as I play it. I've even found more creative ways to destroy it. Burning stuff in the sink, going down the garbage disposal, crazy, and the board. Okay, let's talk about this stupid board. It's boring. I had to break out stickers just to make the board more interesting. I mean, I'm just gonna invite my niece over, put a bedazzler in her hand, and let the girl go to town. Come on, seriously. And don't even get me started on the rules. This rule book, look, you have to change the rule book as you go. 
stupid. So it did so poorly. <laughs> they had to change the color of the box just to trick people into buying more of it. Okay. Season two. Really? Really? Pandemic Legacy season two. Here are the instructions. Unwrap the seal, throw it in the trash, game over. Shame. 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 Game Shame with Diane. That's our show, everyone. Thank you for joining us at TLDR Game Series Podcast. Make sure to check out our quick looks and our how-to on our YouTube channel. See you next time where we'll be saying different things in a different order.